Welcome to the Arena Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Pastors at Arena, and as we continue to encourage our expression of the campuses here in Mansfield, Ilkeston, and Nottingham, and the Hub, then it's always great to have the privilege of being able to come and minister the word. And just to back up what David said, the prayer Zoom is, a, is a, those of you that are able to come on, um, you'll realise that we pray. We pray for this church on a regular basis. We pray for Balpa. And um, it was great to see uh, uh, people at the uh, all-in service at Mansfield a couple of weeks ago as well. Um, again, from this campus, again, all together, as I've said also, and we've now finished it, it was great to have a representation from this campus to our Arena Ministry School this year, uh, which we completed a couple of weeks ago. Um, so the sense of the Balper campus being really part of what God is doing in Arena, and we thank God for that, and we continue to pray that uh, the life of the church here will grow and become ever stronger. So, uh, it's, as I say, it's good to be together, and this morning I'm going to just uh, share for a little time on that thought of balance and uh, Daniel's going to help me and uh, just to help you with the message the the main points will go up on the screen um, and we've been doing this for a long time now when we first started doing it I thought it would intrude on the message but I find it helps and so some of you like to take notes some of you just like to sit back but that's the thought that we're going to try and wrestle with today and our verse is found in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 11 Proverbs is a book of wisdom of wise sayings of wise ways of how life generally works and he says honest scales and balances belong to the Lord honest scales and balances belong to the Lord now over the last few weeks leaving aside the build up to Easter and uh, the feedback across all the campuses has been tremendous a great Easter weekend and uh, uh, we always have to process a cross to come to a resurrection, not just at Easter weekend, but in life. And, um, and it was great to uh, remember the Lord's death, but um, also to celebrate his resurrection. And we were in Ilkeston last week, and uh, it was a tremendous time. And uh, building on the baptisms that took place here at the end of last year, there were three young ladies that got baptised last week. It was brilliant, because we committed increasingly uh, with our word for the year to follow. But prior to that, we talked about boundaries in our life. And boundaries don't restrict us, they set us free, as we've heard prophetically shared this morning. We also talked about foundations, the crucial nature of what we build our life upon. And Jesus, when he'd uh, spoken about principles in life in Matthew 7 in the New Testament, he brings a story at the end about the storms blowing on two people's houses. One are built on a strong foundation and one on a flimsy, weak one. The reality is we all get storms, including believers. But uh, when the storms blow, um, sometimes they can come right out of the blue, sometimes it can blow for a long time. Foundations always help us to stay strong. So this week and next week, we're talking about another crucial principle that we find in the Bible. Not only boundaries, not only foundations, but also balance. Balances belong to the Lord. Now, the immediate context of this verse 
is that God doesn't want dishonest transactions. So he wants honest scales. Some of you may have in your translation even that thought. He doesn't want the shopkeeper sort of uh, skewing the balances in the shop which we don't see so much now. Can you remember the old balances in the shops and you want half a pound or whatever and, and the, the grocer or the, or the butcher would place it on the scale and you'd literally see it, find it. And they'd always, it's always, oh, it's a bit over, isn't it? Oh, 10p okay for you. And, and, and so it went on, that banter between the shop owner and the customer. But not loading the balances in a dishonest way that would be making ill-gained profit. That's the immediate thought. But the wider thought that we're trying to wrestle with is that balance in life belongs to God. It's a great principle. Now, on occasions, communicators and preachers have got a bit sniffy about balance. Some indicating that it leads to mediocrity and the, and the mundane. Uh, there's a, a, a great... Uh, Christian leader that's just recently uh, passed away, served his generation well. Some of you would know of Gerald Coates. And Gerald wrote a book once called Gerald Quotes. And he had one on balance. And uh, it wasn't uh, uh, particularly positive. But I want us to understand this morning that God's never calling us to mediocrity, the mundane, the average but he is calling us to understand that the principles of balance work well in our life. Principles this week, and then the speaker next week will talk about practices that we seek to work out in Arena Church, particularly word and spirit. So here's a definition for balance that's gonna come up on the screen. A definition, the even distribution of something, you can put there whatever the something is, that causes it, whatever it is, to remain upright and steady. The even distribution of something that causes it to remain upright and steady. God wants your life to remain upright. He doesn't want you to topple over and he wants you to be steady and strong, not fragile and weak. And we find a journey in this by correctly understanding that balances belong to the Lord. Now, before we come to the points I just want to briefly roll out, let's think about how balance applies in numbers of aspects of life. So accounting and budgeting. The accountant wants to balance the books and if they're not, there's normally a frown uh, somewhere along the line. Even in your own budgeting at the moment as everything is going up, We've sort of maybe having to look at things and realise that we've got to balance the books. Maybe that's why Netflix is potentially going to use two, lose two million customers over the next few months because people are saying, well, sure, I want to pay that 11 quid for some... If you live in our house, the internet's always going off, so you never get through a film anyway. Um, but um, we're looking at those things. What about engineering? Engineering. Uh, a friend of mine, he's an Indian pastor that lives in, um, in Birmingham. Wonderful man, he's, he's, uh, his first name's Wesley. He says I was named by my father after the great Methodist leader. And uh, he, uh, he has a tremendous connection with the Christian Indian community, particularly in the Birmingham surrounds and beyond. And they've 
they've uh, planted a church and also got hold of a new church building. But this man uh, was an engineer by background. In fact, he gave me his card once. There were that many uh, letters after his name. He, he, he sort of went to the end of the card. A very intelligent man. And he started to talk to me one day about centrifugal call, uh, force, but also centripetal force. And, and uh, one uh, of the forces pushes away and the other one attracts back to the centre. I'm not sure quite where we, why we went there, but as I was preparing the message this week about balance, I went to Wesley and he was basically speaking about balances that operate in the world of engineering. And he was very insightful in all of that. What about aviation? Maybe uh, you've got a holiday plan this year. Maybe you know, you're thinking of flying for the first time in three or four years as, as the end of the pandemic uh, increasingly goes into the distance. I don't know about you, but if I'm 30,000 feet up in the air, I want balance. I want two wings. It would really be helpful on the plane. If one of the wings fell off, we've got a problem. And uh, the whole thing of that great uh, airliner soaring into the sky. I mean, it never fails to take my breath away about how this thing works. Balance, balance. And those of you that have gone through turbulence in the air will know it, you know, it affects the balance. Remember when we flew for the first time to Australia to see our family out there, going over the Bay of Biscay, just south of India. Whoa, the turbulence, we got warned by the pilot, and I can never understand what they're talking about with Jeremy. You never know what they're saying, but he basically said, fasten your seatbelts because it's going to be rocky for the next hour. And it was, and it affected the balance. What about a sports team, a coach? Never actually coached a sports team. I'm the guy that loves to sit in the chair telling, you know, whoever it is that Gareth Southgate, let's tell Gareth Southgate, I could do a better job than Gareth Southgate. Why did he pick that player? Why has he got him? But Gareth's forever looking for balance. He doesn't want everybody to be wanting to score goals. He needs somebody to stop them as well. He doesn't want everybody charging up in, into the penalty area. He needs balance. Uh, if any of you have watched that bio, sports biopic called The Last Dance, uh, which speaks about the, 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 the last hurrah of the Chicago Bulls led by Michael Jordan. He got all the stardom. Yeah, he got all the plaudits. He got all the money. But he needed Steve Kerr and Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodden now and because the coach, Phil Jackson, was looking for balance. And so it goes on. So it goes on. Yes, God on occasions can seem like a rushing train that careers through the station to get our attention. A revival, an awakening, a fresh call. But the reality is that sometimes it may even, in a spiritual journey, take us out of kilter for a little time to get God's attention. But here's the truth. Even revivals can't continue to exist out of balance. And sadly, some of them that were genuine moves of God have floundered because they never found where it needed to go in the balances that belong to the Lord. History records for us over the 2,000 year journey of the church that it's had to at times contend with imbalance. So the imbalance of doctrine, what was one of the reasons that the New Testament was written? To counter imbalance. 
For example, the, the uh, epistle of John, 1 John, not the gospel of John, near the end of the Old Testament, five chapters, a tremendous book. But one of the primary reasons that God inspired John the leader to write it was to counteract balance. People were saying, ah, Jesus, Jesus wasn't a real person. He was just a ghost. He was just a phantom. He, he didn't really come to the earth. It was what we call Gnosticism. It was basically saying, if that's the case, we can, we sort of, we can, we can sort of live as we like because all matter is evil and all spirit is good. And it led to an imbalance that was counteracted by the teachings of the scriptures. It's always been the case. And then there's been an imbalance of emphasis. Some preachers are forever riding their hobby horse. A friend of ours uh, that lived in another part of the country came to see us once and she expressed some frustration in a very genuine, heartfelt way with the church because the pastor had confessed from the platform that he never spent any time getting the ministry ready until 7.30 on a Saturday evening when he would then go down to the church and prepare and wait on God for a word for the following morning. Wow. And I said to her, he'll be preaching from Genesis to Revelation, he'll be too long and he'll be riding his hobby horse. She says, how do you know that? I says, because if he's leaving it to last minute ministries on the night before he's supposed to speak and he's not getting anything, he's going to revert to type. She says, that's what's happening every week. See, and um, people have different, oh, I don't want to leave it till half past seven on Saturday night to know what I'm preaching about, but at 10.30 the following morning. I, I want to prepare in a different way to that. And yes, some people like to sort of have a, a, a sort of late leading but without preparation, without a, a right approach to consistent ministry, you're going to run to an imbalance of emphasis. The Bible speaks in Acts chapter 20 about speaking about the whole counsel of God or the whole will of God. We've just had a chocolate time, haven't we? Easter. But what about the chocolates at Christmas? You know, you've got that big box of chocolates and everybody's dipping in and then there's five or six left. Well, who's going to eat these? Nobody wants them. You know, I don't know what it is, Turkish delight or nugget or whatever, you know, and they get left. And you know, sometimes we can be a little bit like that with the Bible. We pick the bits that we like. Oh, like that, oh, like that, oh, like that. But we've got to have the whole counsel of God the bits that we don't like, the bits that we, we, we want to shun, the bits that, we, uh, that we, we, we push back on. We've got to receive the whole counsel of God. In fact, those things at times that we don't think that we want to apply our lives to often do us amazingly good. Oscar Wilde said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that give me a problem, it's the parts that I do. In other words, as I'm receiving the word of God, as I'm receiving it into my life, then it challenges me. By the way, just going to Bible school, if you can join us a week on Tuesday, on, we're still on Zoom this year, please do so. 
and we try and have a balance. So last time I tried to wrestle, it took me ages to do it, took over my life for a time, I tried to wrestle with Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon. Wow. And trying to minister that with balance. We're moving on to another book this time and I'll sort of make it a little bit of a soap opera by saying you're going to have to join us on the night to find out what it is. But, um, but, uh, but the whole counsel of God. So we did this series on the poetic books. Psalms, tick. Proverbs, tick. Job, oh, okay, tick. Uh, so, well, we're not done Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Oh, but they're in the words. And how do I communicate those? And you train yourself to the desk and get it ready. Balance, the whole counsel of God. This church has got a Pentecostal tra tradition. I use that word in the right sense. Going back to the 1930s, there was a man in the 1930s called George Aldershaw that lived at South Normanton, which is just sort of junction 28 of the motorway. And George had a tremendous pioneering attitude. This is an Aldershaw church. Belper, Jacksdale, Kirby and Ashfield, certainly Nashfield, Huthway, South Normanton, a pioneer a pioneer and the church still lives on 90 years later been numbers of leaders numbers of faithful pastors and of course we've had to bring by God's help a complete repurposing to what God wants to do a fresh pioneering as David and Jeanette have led the charge in this last two or three years and churches have to find that new season at times inevitably out of a 90 year journey but we're praying that the rootedness, the apostolic rootedness that was laid in will still produce fruit in this current day. I say that because even Pentecostalism, going back over 100 years, sometimes found some imbalance. And on occasions, it produced some real tragedies in people's lives. God raised up a man called Donald G who was an early Pentecostal leader. Some of you may have read his books on the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And what was Donald G's nickname or title? He was known as the Apostle of Balance. In other words, he sought to bring that balance from the Lord that would cause this fresh expression of the wind of the Spirit in the earth continue to blow and we're thankful for such people and then what about an imbalance of passion God's not against passion enthusiasm in fact he loves it he loves for us to praise him and worship him passionately and enthusiastically but passion not balance can go to a place that could even be dangerous in Romans chapter 12, God speak, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 10 verse 2, God speaking about his covenant people of the Old Testament says you have a zeal or a passion, but it's not according to knowledge. You have a zeal, but it's not according to knowledge. And in our ministry school, one of the strong things that came out and it became a real thread of the 12 weeks together is that we wanted to balance head and heart. We wanted the passion of the heart to connect with the understanding of the head. Not either or, you want an intellectual approach, just fill in the head, fill in the head that never moves the heart, 
but also realising at times why we get passionate about certain things, why we are convinced, why we won't move on certain situations. And that is the balance of passion. So, briefly, and it will be brief, I'm just going to drop five things into your heart that are principles of balance. Principles. In other words, they can work for every person here. Whatever your age, whatever your spiritual journey, however long you've known the Lord or even are coming to know the Lord, the principles will work. I'll move through them swiftly with my eye on the clock. Number one, the principle of intimacy with God, but also involvement with the world. John 17, 3 says that when we... Uh, this is eternal life that we know God. And Matthew 5, 14 to 16 talks about us being salt and light. Now, some people have been so driven to intimacy with God that they've gone to live in a monastery or a commune. And please hear me, I'm not taking pot shots at that. I understand that some of these people have been incredibly sincere in their pursuit of God. But they've lived in a cloistered environment. Some of them even taking vows of silence, gone to retreats, wanting to be untarnished by this horrible world in which we live in. But I suggest that the balance is a little bit different. In 1 Corinthians 5 in the New Testament, the sin in the church. I don't have time to open it up. But the apostolic father, Paul says, you shouldn't be associating with this person who's deliberately expressing an immoral lifestyle. He went on to say, am I saying that you shouldn't associate with sinful people in the world? Not at all. He says, if that was the case, we wouldn't mix with anybody. Tomorrow you're going to go to the hospital. You're going to go to the office you're going to go to the building site. You're going to go to the factory. You're going to hear things that you probably wouldn't want to hear because you're a believer. There's going to be stuff going around in a jokey sort of way that perhaps you're going to have to move away from. God's not calling you out of it. He is calling you to influence in it. The balance is intimacy with God and involvement with the world. As I've stood on the door over the years, people have said to me, oh, the worship could have gone on this morning. Nobody's ever given me the answer to how long. You know, but the basic is saying the meeting should have been longer. You finished it earlier than it could. God was wanting to move. And I realized over the years that as we understand worship, the worship always goes on. Because the worship is singing, but it's not only singing. The worship is your integrity in the office tomorrow. The worship is your cheerfulness, your joyfulness. The worship is your honesty when there's a dodgy deal looming. And you worship God, not only in the intimacy of a church gathering, but in the ruggedness of the involvement with a sinful world. And there is the balance. Salt influencing, light illuminating. And so Christians impact him for God and his kingdom. Number two, balance is not only intimacy with God and involvement in the world, but balance is unity and diversity in the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12, it says, now we are many parts 
but one body. Many parts, but one body. Somebody said to me in the years, why have we got, Phil, why have we got all these denominations? Why can't you all just go to the same church? It was inevitable over the history of time because of the variance of our personality, our temperament, our choices, our convictions, that spirit, public spirituality was going to get expressed in different ways. So people like the stained glass window. They like the altar. And of course, as you can see in this church, it's stripped right back from that. And we have a conviction about that. But various ways of expressing worship to God. Diversity. But here's the truth. There's only one body of Christ. It may be Pentecostal. It may be Anglican. It may be Methodist. It may be Baptist. And so we could go on. But there's only one body of Christ and there's only one head and his name is Jesus. Jesus. And when we understand that, it helps us to understand that God is doing something amazing. Those of you that like biology will understand and Sarah will correct me if I've got all this wrong as our nurse in the room. There's over 200 bones in the human skeleton the average male has 12 pints of blood coursing through his veins at any one time. The brain contains millions of nerve cells and we could go on. The intricacies and the complexities of the human frame are incredible. To the extent I'm surprised at times we're not all in hospital with something wrong with us. And the Bible says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. It's incredible. It's incredible. And as you get a bit older like me, you start to appreciate this a little bit more. I sometimes get up in the morning and say, God, thank you. I put my foot on the floor this morning, no pain. Thank you for sight. Thank you for hearing. Thank you for taste. Sharon said, I can't hear because I never listen to what she's saying. But it's not true. And you become aware of these things. Different parts of my body operating in different ways. And it's the same with the body of Christ. Aren't you glad there's only one of me? And there's only one of you. Actually, God likes me. He likes you as well as he loves you. And some of us at times think, oh, I, I wish I was David. I wish I was Jeanette. I wish I, I, I was uh, Lindsay. But God loves you. Uniquely you. He's pleased with you. He likes you. He wants to be known by you. And he wants to come and invade your life. And he wants to take hold of your gifts. Your gifts. I'm in awe at times of people that can play the guitar well. I'm in awe of the, the techie guys. Oh, my words. You know, I'm just on the coattails of technology all the time. You know, I remember when I first got my first iPhone 4. The very day I got it, guess what? iPhone 5 came out. I thought that was just a metaphor for my life. I'm always off the pace. I'm always off the pace. But thank God for people that are brilliant in this area and make it work for the body of Christ. We're not all called to be the same. And here's some thoughts about the body. Number one, connectivity. Our primary connection is with Jesus. People that work in head trauma units will know that the potential of the brain being impacted by an accident or whatever can be devastating. 
And the body of Christ, whatever its expression, must always keep its primary connection with Jesus Christ's connectivity. And then unity. Unity is not uniformity. It's not us all being the same. That's easy. That's what cults do. They try and turn everybody to be the same. But the body of Christ revels in diversity and yet a unity of heart and spirit. And then mobility. The body of Christ is called to move. Someone says movement is medicine. Keep moving. Keep walking forward. When you don't feel like walking around the block, go and do it. Okay, movement is medicine. The body's meant to move and the body of Christ is meant to move forwards and maturity. Maturity. Our two, our, our little grandchildren, you've only got to miss them for two or three weeks, four weeks. We just saw... Uh, the little ones down in Wales at the weekend, Caleb's gone up another inch. He's a big lad. And then you realise he's only coming up to five. And it's, it's the growing of his body and the immaturity saying, man, I don't want to walk anymore. I don't want to walk anymore. And guess who he, what happens? He comes on my shoulders. And honestly, I think I've shrunk three inches by the time I've carried him for half a mile. Maturity. What's the expectation of his grandparents? He's going to keep growing. And so it is with the body of Christ. And as we follow, we'll come to maturity. The unity and diversity in the body of Christ. Briefly, progress and process. God says that he that's begun something in us will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. If you've never become a Christian this morning and given your life to Jesus and asked him to forgive you of everything you've ever done wrong and give you a brand new start, it's what we call being born again. That's the way into a relationship with God. It's what we call the crisis, the decision. But then we have the process. So not only coming to Christ, but then becoming like Christ. Oh, that takes time. That's eating the chocolates in the Bible that we don't want to hear. Eat. That's sort of allowing God to wash over our heart and spirit. Even if we've been on the journey 25, 30, 35 years, he's got something fresh to say to us and we want to receive it. Progress and process. And sometimes you may feel that your progress is slow. Don't worry because you're making more progress than you realise. Number four which is a similar point, holding ground and moving forward. Be steadfast, immovable, Corinthians 15, 58, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. This verse is right at the end of the resurrection chapter. Post-Easter, what we're supposed to do, Phil? We're supposed to be steadfast, immovable, abounding in God's work, knowing that it's never been thrown away. If there are people around this room that are mature in the faith, they've engaged in ministry and sometimes they've got home on a Sunday afternoon or a Sunday night, they've ministered to kids, they've ministered to youth, they've ministered in church, they've kicked the shoes off. So never again. It was a complete waste of time. It never is. It never is. Whatever you do unto the Lord, it's never thrown away. And you need to find the balance of holding ground 
and moving forward. And finally, as we close, number five, the natural demands and the eternal perspective. The job, the family, the utility bills, the everyday demands, the kids wanting a new pair of shoes to go back to school. And so it goes on and on. Someone said once that you can be so earthly minded, so sorry, so heavenly minded, you know earthly use. I've got to say, by the way, it's not in the Bible. Don't quote it with biblical authority. It's not in the Bible. In fact, the Bible says completely the opposite. The Bible says in Colossians 3, 2, set your mind or affections on things above. Above. C.S. Lewis, the great writer, says that the people that have made most impact in this earth are the people that have got most attention on the next. They realise where they're going and they want to make a difference why they're here. St. Francis of Assisi, going back 800 years, was the son of a wealthy silk merchant and his father wanted him to carry on in the business. He was made for life. He was a wealthy man, but Jesus Christ called him to something different. And some of you may know the story how that he publicly rent his clothes and for nine months lived as a beggar. It was the precursor to a simple, simple life. It may be why we're still quoting his prayer 800 years later. Lord, make me a channel of your peace. Natural demands against eternal perspective. I don't want to be trite at this time. I don't want to be dismissive. I understand, friends, that across our nation and the Western nations, there's a cost of living crisis. Sadly, no exemption for pastors. Still got to pay the bills. Still got to go to exactly the same supermarkets as everybody else. And I get it. And I listen to people. And I watch people that are having to navigate tough, tough times. But don't let it rob you of the eternal perspective. Leonard Ravenhill, a great 20th century prophet, says life's just a dressing room for eternity. That's all it is. There's something greater. There's something beyond this life. There is a day when we will have to face God and give account for our lives. And we need to live the balance between the natural demands and the eternal perspective. So fix your gaze, not on what is seen, temporal, but what is unseen, eternal. Balances are from the Lord. Just as boundaries are, and just as foundations are, it's not a call to mediocrity. It's not a call to the average. It's not a call to pulling back. It's a call to genuinely making life work. May God help us to be intimate with him, but involved in this dark world that needs the light of God. May God help us to be part of the body of Christ and identify with his help our unique contribution to it without comparing ourselves with others. May God help us to make progress through the process. May the Lord help us to hold ground as well as move forward. 
and in this specific day in which we live, may God help us to attend to the natural demands of life without ever taking our affection off what is above, the eternal that lives forever. Let's rise as the...